Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. Dave Cohen will be along in a moment. And this is part two of our interview with writer Ashley Farrow, who in the last episode was telling us about how he got started uh, through drama and also writing on EastEnders. And now finally we get to the real business end where we talk about how he came up with and uh, two colleagues of his came up with Life on Mars and what went wrong with Bone Kickers. This is a really great one. Let's get back into it. So I guess what I'm interested in thinking about this is you've got um, Around the World in 80 Days, which is an, uh, an adaptation, very well-known uh, story. Uh, you've got the, uh, the district nurses, very specific, very set in a place. Yeah. And so I'm wondering you know, how the, the, the genesis of life on Mars, you know, which is kind of so many things. Um, yeah, like, they had a very odd... And I think probably got an encouraging story for, for new or young writers in that. Um, so I'm just trying to think where we all were at in our career. We'd all left EastEnders. And I think I was doing Where the Heart Is. I can't remember that now. But Tony Jordan was doing pretty well and Matthew Graham pretty well. And we were still friends. But we weren't working together. And Tony Jordan phoned up and said, I just met this bloke who's formed a new company called Kudos. I went, yeah, I've seen them. They do a fishing Probably on Sunday night. That's all they do. He went, yeah, yeah, but he wants to get into drama. And I, I said to him that you, me, and Matt would maybe try and come up with some ideas. I said, why would we do that? And they're like, <laughs> if you know, we could go and work for Tiger Aspect. Or I said, look, you better tell him no. He went, mm, no, I suppose you're right. He said, he's a really nice guy. So what I'll say, instead of saying no, I just I'll put I'll make our demands so ridiculous that he'll have to say no. And then we, so he went back to anyways, phoned me up to the Days later, you know that bloke, yeah? He said, well, I made this preposterous offer. And the offer was, we would do it. We had to go to Blackpool. I have no idea why Blackpool. And we had to stay in the best hotel in Blackpool, which I think was the Grand. And when we got to the train station, there had to be someone waiting for us with a carrier bag each of used 50-pound notes. I think it was a 1,000 pounds each. (laughs) And because I'd gone to... Grammar school, I had to have a waitress bag. That was Tony Jordan's hilarious. Um, He's never let you forget no, that, has he? No. no. So, and in Blue went, yeah, okay. So, oh, shit, so we have to do it. So, we arrived in Blackpool on a, a rainy Friday night, and there was this terrified PA waiting for us at the station with three bags of money. <laughs> and uh, I felt so sorry for her. I went, do you want to come out and have dinner with us? She went, no, thank you. So I think she thought we were drug dealers or sort of um... So we, went, we checked into our hotel and then we did what you expect we would do, got absolutely blabbered for um, th- two and a half days. Um, didn't do any work at all, was just... And, um, and on the Sunday afternoon, bloody hell, this bloke's coming up on the train now to see what we've um, done to the ship. So we got, took our hangovers into this room with a, with a whiteboard and we said, well, what is he, what does it, the industry always wants a medical show or a cop show. And we'd, and we'd done a show called City Central a few years before that, which is a very conventional police show, say, in Manchester. And then we started laughing about the stuff that we watched as kids, you know, how incredibly politically incorrect it was. And, you know, get your coat, you pulled and all that stuff. And we were thinking, well, then someone said, wouldn't it be funny if somehow, we could get a modern, woke, or that word wasn't used then, technocratic cop 
in an episode of the Sweeney. And, it, you know, we laughed and said, yeah, but no one's going to. And we, we put it up on the board. I think we called it Ford Granada, it was called originally. And we thought it was a half-hour sitcom. We thought that's, that's what it would be. And, um, and he came up, <laughs> this man, and we pitched him all the other stuff. He went, um, yeah, yeah, he said, what's that one? Ford Granada, and we pitched him. He went, really? And this was at a time when there was no high-concept television drama on British television. I mean, like, none. I think Doctor Who hadn't been um, reinvented by Russell. And so he went, okay, well, you know, we've got a meeting with Peter Salmon on BBC on, on next Monday, and we've got to pitch it to him. I guess he didn't look very keen. And that started a round of us pitching. We pitched to Peter Salmon, a lovely, really lovely man who was head of BBC One, and he went, well, then we called it Life on Mars, because I thought, when I was a kid on school camp in 1973, that song was coming out of every shop and every bar and every car. And it just seemed a great title and a great thing about a man out of time. But we only had about a paragraph. And we pitched it to Peter Salmon. He was like, is it science? Is it science fiction? Went, no, no, no. He said, but it's called Life on... Said, no, it's not the Bowie song. He said, well, is Bowie interested? No, no. Pitched him like the, the basic premise, and he, he didn't. He was like, but I think just to get us out of the room, he um, commissioned the script that Matthew, <laughs> Matthew wrote, and the BBC turned it down. Uh, ITV wouldn't even take the meeting because they thought the idea was so silly. Um, so, and people said to me, oh, well, it's a great, obvious idea, but it, every single network we went to turned that show down. And uh, in the end, there was nowhere else to go. So we had, we had to put it up on a shelf where it, where it gathered dust for about seven years, six wow. years. And then, I guess, again, to go back to EastEnders, so, and I should have said, Tony and Matthew and I met on EastEnders. Back on EastEnders, a bloke called John York was my junior script editor. And I, you know, I was reasonably nice to him, I think. Now, cut to seven years later, he's just been made head of drama at Channel 4. And he said, have you guys still got that? Time traveling cop show idea. I mean, yeah, yeah, no one wants it. You can have it, you know. So Matthew um, rewrote it for Channel 4, which I think meant put some kittens were killed in it. I think that was Matthew's idea of making something for Channel 4. Um, <laughs> but by now it was a one hour drama and it sort of looked like we, we sort of we know it now, a bit darker maybe. And John took it to his head of drama who said, People will lose careers over this, John, if we make this. <laughs> he didn't say it was rubbish, but he said, silly. It's, bit, it's silly. And I think because they didn't make much drama, they were very, very nervous about making something that everyone said was silly. And John York said, yeah, but I'm your head of drama. And I said, I really want to make this. He said, I'm really sorry. And so John, bless him, took it to the boss of Channel 4 and said, you know, Put his name on the line. So I want to make the guy. I read it over the weekend, Monday morning. Called John and said, "No, I'm sorry, John. This is um, this is not happening under under my watch." You know, it was. And John said, "Well, if I can't, if I'm your head of drama, I can't make what I want to make. There's not much point in me being in here." So he left to go to the BBC. Oh, that I was dead again. But by then, so much time had passed. There were some younger. Execs wielding power. So, a woman called Jane Tranter was now head of 
drama. Um, Julie Gardner was at BBC Wales, and they were in, they were in the middle of restarting Doctor Who with Russell, and they saw high concept shows coming over here from America, things like Six Feet Under, and doing very well, very well over there in you know, mainstream networks. So they took a punt on Life on Mars. So. I think from that boozy weekend in Blackpool to going out was eight years. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. Uh, but that's also, yeah. I, I kind of see how maybe in whenever it was 2000, um, it, it maybe it was just a little bit too kind of out there, really, as, a, as an I idea. Think, yeah, well, it clearly was. And we, but it's interesting. If it, if it had been my idea, I would have given up on it long before then because there were three of us. Every now and it wasn't, we never, you know, it was, it was done. You know, we've all got those dead, pro- it was a dead project. But whenever we'd meet and have a beer, we'd, we'd think, oh, I had an idea for that Michael Barnstrip. What if, you know, you know, there's an IRA bomb, he, Gene Hunt would just arrest every single Irishman in the interview. And we'd laugh. So it clearly stayed with us as a piece of, as a premise. Um, but then right to, to end that story, right at the end when we got a green light, you can imagine we're ecstatic. The BBC said, but on condition that the start of every episode shows Sam Tyler in a hospital bed. Because we can't have the audience think, you know, being confused. We said, yeah, but that's the whole point of the show is, is he dead? Is he in a coma? Is he having a nightmare? That, right. that is the engine of the show. Without that, it's just a bloke and everyone knows he's in a coma. So what's the... And um, we actually went to Kudos and we spent eight years. We'd rather not make it if we're going to make it badly. And they went, like, oh, shit. Um, and so very grudgingly, they said, okay, you can make, make it with that, you know, that voiceover at the front. Am I dead? Am I in a coma? Whatever it is, I have to work, work it out, essentially. And that became the narrative engine of the show. So it was a hell of a journey. Um, looking back on it now, it just seems extraordinary. But um, there's even more complexity there, though, because um, Dave Cohen has read the script of the first episode, and the beginning is missing from the broadcast bit. This was a uh, Dave. Yeah. Do you want to explain about that? This happened a, a year ago. I was teaching uh, some students and uh, just creative writing students, and I, 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 I suddenly landed the job, no idea what to do. And I thought, yeah. well, I'm going to show them what a script looks like, and and it just Life on Mars had just come back on iPlayer. And the opening script was on Writer's Room. And I thought, oh, here's a good thing to do. And I was just teaching online anyway because uh, of COVID. I thought, right, I'll put the script on the left-hand side of the screen and uh, the show on the right-hand side. And we'll watch it. And I'll, I'll explain to them, this is what a script looks like. This is what a, a, a TV script looks like. And then let's watch the scene. And this was like the shooting script so it wasn't like a first draft or anything it was obviously the actual shooting script in the opening scene um sam splits up with uh his partner and i guess that was shot but then somewhere somewhere along the way that whole storyline just completely disappeared what what, what, it it is in there but what happened was and this is like so even after eight years i I think, well, you've, you've read the script more recently than me, but I believe the first 20 pages were set in our time. Right. So we filmed it all, and it was a bit, 
you were waiting for 1973. And as they cut it, that 20 minutes, that 20 pages got smaller and smaller and smaller. And that, I think that storyline got largely biffed. She is in it just about, but, um, and I can't remember, it's probably only five or six minutes you get into 1973 now. And when I watch it, I, even that seems a little bit long, but I'm pretty sure that is what happened, that, that we did shoot that stuff. But we, um, the post-production was very interesting on that show, again, because it was such an unusual original piece. Um, that, and we weren't, we weren't in the cutting room as writers. No, no, no. And I was living in Bath then, and they sent me the VHS. That's how old it was. Well, that episode one, the first cut to watch. So Matt came to my house and plugged it in, and it was terrible. And what they'd had, they'd had a, they'd had a, they got frightened of the humour because it is very, very silly, which was what we liked, and they took it all out. So it suddenly looked like Ibsen had wrote an episode of Z Cars. <laughs> it was really bleak and depressing and didn't make much sense. Um, so all the stuff that people like now, for instance, do you remember the sequence when he wakes up? In the policeman. And yeah. he goes to the policeman and he says, is this your vehicle? And he's like, he says, where's, where's, where's my... Where's my Jeep? mobile? <laughs> where's my Jeep? He says, well, you're driving a military vehicle, sir. That got cut. And he, yeah, where's my mobile? Your mobile what, sir? That got cut. Then he goes to the station and there's a gas ferry city gang, Matthew, where he says, um, PC terminal, where's my PC? And he goes, I don't think we've got a PC terminal. And that, <laughs> that was all cut. And so it was like, it was relentless. This kind of um, agitprop. We phoned up Jane Featherston, except she said, please. She said, oh, I don't think they thought it was working. But that awful thing you hear from cutting rooms, you think, well, can we just, can we see it? with the humour interest them. And of course, it, it absolutely, you know, when we watched that cut, it was brilliant. Because it just, yeah, interesting though, isn't it? And the producer was brilliant too, fantastic job, but slightly bottled it in the cut, I think, about what the show, what the show was and could be. Um, I mean, the, yeah, comedy just requires that, uh, that you know, the nerve to actually make the joke. I think that's what... Um, ben Elton's comment was when he did that annual lecture somewhere where he just says, you know, let's just own the fact that when you're making a joke, you're, gonna, you're risking looking really yes. stupid and you just have to just to own it and do it and yeah. and then celebrate it when it works and also not care when it doesn't work. Yeah, but I think television is a place where people don't, don't like that. That is their absolute fear of being made, of being yeah. made to look silly amongst their peers. And it's probably a, a gene that writers don't have because we, uh, yeah, it makes me laugh. So it's already done its job. You know, if it doesn't work on yeah. screen, well, that's a real shame. But I think yeah. for executives, there's a horror. There's a horror of people turning over because they're confused, because it might be ambiguous. Uh, well, they call it confusing, writers call it amb ambiguity. And there is a horror of it being a bit silly. And, you know, some of the Times TV yeah. critics think, you know, that they worry about that stuff more than I think we do as writers. Yeah. And that is, I think, Brendan O'Carroll's superpower. He is the, obviously, he's writer performer of Mrs. Brown's Boys. Is He's done that show on stage. He's not part of the TV industry. He doesn't care. No. Um, and it was taken to TV by um, 
by our exec producer for Bluestone 4-2, who was also proposing our show, which was a sitcom set in an ongoing war situation and active. <laughs> and, it was, and whilst we were developing it, he was saying, oh, yes, I found this thing called Mrs. Brown. And he's an old Etonian, has un, an incredible self-belief. His, his dad used to be the headmaster of, of Eton. And he was just absolutely bulletproof himself. So in a way... There's this show on TV called Mrs. Brown's Boys that writers tend to not like and the TV industry tends to can't stand. And they are the only people who care. And, you know, the audience absolutely love it. And those who don't love it don't watch it. And they don't care either. Well, you do find them. You have, you know, if you exact with a bit of courage and... Um, yeah, um, cling on to cling them. On. I mean, Jane Tranter, who was just starting it, had a bit of drama and was a, was a fantastic support of it. Mm. Um, yeah. now, now working on uh, Succession, I think, with uh, Georgia Pritchard. Well, there we go. Yes, that, exactly. Hope you're enjoying this interview. That's really stunning about how they came up with Life on Mars and those bags of money. Extraordinary. And if my co-host Dave were here as I'm recording this little interlude, he'd be telling you now to sign up to his newsletter you can email him at davecohen.org.uk, davecohen.org.uk, email that, and you, he will add you to his newsletter. Now, if you're really fed up writing scripts that you know just aren't quite cutting it and you actually want to start over, then let me help you do that with my 12-lesson video course called Writing Your Sitcom, in which I tell you what you need to know in the right order and, crucially, don't tell you what you don't need to know. So I'm trying to keep it really simple, but also trying to give you everything you need to know to write a sitcom script that you can be proud of. So that's just been re-released. I really recommend getting in on this before the 4th of July, because uh, up until that point, it comes with a load of bonuses, including a couple of exclusive sessions with me. So go on over to my blog to have a look, sitcomgeek.blogspot.com, sitcomgeek.blogspot.com, or hopefully there's a link in the show notes. Okay, let's get back to it with Ashley Farrow, who took a serious kicking over Bone Kickers. We should let you go very shortly, but before we do that, what we love to do is eventually get to the bit where we say, hey, there was this show that, that didn't go so well, and what did we learn from it? Uh, we spoke to Danny uh, the other day, Danny Peake the other day about Big Top. Uh, when we spoke to Stephen Moffat, uh, we eventually got to Chalk. Um, but in the email that we explained uh, beforehand, there's a show called Bone Kickers, which is an absolutely terrific idea for a show. But that um, Dave says there's a lot of love for it out there on Twitter, and you you didn't believe it. So uh, I would like to define uh, lots of. I must admit. Um, do you want to just tell us about how how that show came about, and also maybe what you learned from it? That show came about. So we made Life on Mars, and by now Tony was off doing other stuff. So me and Matthew made Ashes to Ashes. Mm. Which after a wobbly start was was another big hit for the BBC. Brilliant! It's a brilliant show. Yeah, thank seen you. it every episode at least twice. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. But that again had a you know the critics didn't like it at first. They, they didn't like Keeley, um, but it settled down. So really, we were in that very rare position where we could have probably taken the Froome phone book and they would have made it. <laughs> um, and we thought, fuck, we don't have we don't have anything. What are we can do? Matthew loves. History. So he came up um, slightly back of a back of a fag packet idea for both. Oh, well, life a, on Mars wasn't <laughs> in a hotel in Blackpool, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 
But right from the start, we thought it was meant to be funny. We thought of it as like a BBC Tea Time right. adventure, slightly Doctor Who-y. And then the mad, the mad Bastard wrote an episode one that had, and the storyline was about British soldiers stealing artefacts from Iraq, I guess, and bringing them back. And, and of course, the BBC said, ooh, this is relevant. I was thinking, oh, really? Uh, oh, dear. I'm sorry. Sorry. Banged at nine <laughs> o'clock on a, on a, on a weekday. Okay. And, and so the idea and the slot were very different uh-huh. things. But we were, what happened in television, as you know, that once you've got green light, you are in. You're on the bus. You, there is no getting off the bus. Hmm. And the bus is got, hit its destination on that day. And I think also looking back, we were probably a little bit arrogant. I think we thought we could sort of do anything. Yeah. But what was clear, even when we were shooting, was that no one, no one really knew what the show was about. I right. could tell I'd be on set and I think the directors and the actors and me and the producers all have a slightly different idea of yeah. what, what this is. Um, God, I laugh bad now, but it wasn't funny at the time. No. And I made the stupid mistake of filming in my the town I live in. Don't do that. I will never do that again. Um, and it was, yeah, and it got absolutely pasted when it came out. I mean, El Dorado level. Oh, wow. Mood. Okay. I mean, you know, like, these people should never be allowed to work in the business again. It became a joke. Even worse than a bad review, it became... Um, I saw a review in the Guardian. It said something like, "About another show. This show is dreadful." Blah blah. blah. I mean, not Bone King is dreadful, but really, <laughs> it became sort of shorthand something absolutely deplorable. Wow. So it was hard for us, you know. I'm laughing about it now, but we were on our knees and we were we were show running it. We yeah. we had nowhere to hide. We couldn't blame anybody. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but it's. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with the idea, but I think there was, like I said, there was a disconnect between what we thought we were making and what the BBC thought they were getting. Um, Which I have thought, the fact that everything happens in and around Bath, sort of signals that it's a bit of a joke, but there'll be reviews like this. It's preposterous. They found a piece of the True Cross under a playing field in Bath. Last week, they found it in the yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? Like, if you don't... Although that... That said, I can see Glastonbury Tour from my window. Uh, literally, it's over there. And I can see Cadbury Castle uh, also from my window, uh, which is Avalon, as you, yeah, as you all know. Um, and there's, you know, it's a, there's an absolute ton of history around this. This is where Albert the Great, yeah, Alfred the Great was kicking around and everything. So, you know, it's like, yeah. okay. It you know, but... and, and also the idea that... Um... What, another murder in Midsummer, Norton? Or... Yes, that's right. Nobody, nobody really <laughs> know, questions but there the, was, the body count. Yeah. Who knows what happened? And there were some brilliant directors involved, and it looked, you know, we, I mean, commercially it was a nightmare because every single episode is in a different time period. That was, wasn't our smartest move. Mm. I mean, that cast, you couldn't afford that cast now. It's like, yeah. Goo goo. But I think, yeah, I think you put your finger on it, though, is that, um, and this is what we've been, so we've been running a competition for sitcom scripts. And what was it really about? And I think we read a lot of scripts are actually, some of them are quite funny, quite good characters, interesting situation. 
But what's it really about? It's like, oh, you've, you've, you've got to know the answer to that question, haven't you? And it doesn't Do. matter who you are, uh, where you are in your career, no. you've, you've sort of got to know. Or at least if you don't know, you need to know you've got to find it. Yes. And find it ideally before you start shooting. Yeah, and that, I mean, you're, you are, if you wait till you're shooting, you are, you think, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll find that you won't, you know, because you're just yeah. running to do your seven pages a day, you know. And, yeah. um, no, it was incredibly stressful. And I remember um, on a Sunday, I mean, a rare Sunday off. And so I live in a village just outside Bath where we'd be filming. I took my family for a walk up this like deserted country lane. And I was aware there was a car behind me, a taxi. So we all, we all sort of stood in the, into the hedge to let him by. He went, you actually Pharaoh, went, yeah? Well, I've got some rushes for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was... There was just no escape. Um, well, I think if I learned a lesson, don't shoot in your hometown. Yeah. Um, and just make sure you know what you're making. Because it was, there was a scene, an infamous scene, God, where, where a, um, a radical Christian beheaded a, a Muslim gentleman. And it, okay. And, you know, in a slightly sitcom-y, I remember okay. being in the cut, saying, does it go in, does it go out? And I said, guys, I think out, you know. No, we've got to be brave. We've got to, like, think, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so not only are we going to be pasted, we're going to be killed. Um, yeah, it was, uh, but yeah. eventually you get over it, I think. You know, and again, Jane Tranter was in charge there, and she was, she don't worry, don't worry about it, boys. You win some, you lose some. I mean, that was yep. she wanted to go again. She was like, Oh, wow, Fuck the yeah. cast wanted to do it again. Um, yeah, and me and Matt were like, No, well, we just it's too soon, we can't. Um, yeah, uh, we, that's what they say about history shows too soon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We should probably just we really do need to let you go, but can we just get the last couple of minutes on Around the World in 80 Days? Because I look at the opening titles of that and a very big screen with lots and lots of names and countries on it, and just thinking, that looks quite difficult in terms of finance. Uh, I think I think Ashley Farrow went to a lot of meetings. Yeah, a lot, a lot of meetings. Um, so it was. I mean, the BBC, having said lots of nice things about them, didn't take me, wouldn't take a meeting. Like, nah, it's just not what we want to do. It's not, you know, it's not trendy. I guess is what they really meant, but. And so I can't remember how, but it ended up um, in France. And France Television, ZDF in Germany, and Rye in Italy had just formed this sort of umbrella, I guess, to try and take on the streaming giant. So yeah. they couldn't afford 40 million an episode, but together they just about 40 million episode, 40 million. Siri, they just about could, and they really liked it. Obviously, had French connections, food, yeah. and that's how we financed it and packaged it. And then, eventually, the BBC, I think, when David Tennant came on board, said, Oh, we may have been a little premature. They, they came in, but they weren't editorially involved, they're not an investor. They came in, it was a buy in for them, right? Um, yeah, it was a tricky one to finance, and then bloody Covid came. Came along halfway through our shoot, we shut the shoot down, and it was incredibly difficult 
um, thing to make. And there was a time I thought we wasn't going to make, going to get made, but I think they just spent enough money before it would shut down. Yeah, to make it worth more than going. Back. They had to. Yeah, yeah. They've already. It's yeah. Yeah, but in the end, it turned. It's bizarrely turned out well for us because so many people have said to me it was just a they can watch it with their kids and there's not much you can do that with, and it was so bright and and alive and you, you saw other cultures and other countries and other cuisines and languages and it, you know, none of us have been anywhere for two years it just it just felt um yeah. a good play yeah it was a hard thing to put on i i'm really proud of it your eastenders experience though really stood you in good stead yeah it, yes. is, it did yeah i went, yeah. went through eight episodes with a red pen <laughs> so, sorry dave you, just, you were about to say yeah i was gonna say just before we we finish i'm, I'm curious to know um the, the kind of trajectory as a as a writer um how much of your time now you spend being a writer and how much as a producer and an exec and a pitcher and all these things and whether, yeah i mean I, it is all those things um i mean sometimes the, the bit i love versus writing being in being in this room putting the music on and it's still my first Love, but I found at a certain stage, if you want to have any influence on how it looks, you have to get involved. Um, and, you know, and there were things that of mine that got made. Oh, I, I wouldn't have cast it like that, and I wouldn't have had that composer. I really, and I, you know, either you just can't stay in your room moaning, or you have to get involved. And I mean, I'm not a showrunner, and I don't, um, I don't want to be one. I think that would just be. I popping me stressful, but I do like being an exec, almost like head of department writers is what is how I write them. So, yeah, yeah. so I, I, on a job like that, my, I, my responsibility was getting the script ready, working with other writers, work liaising with the crews, make sure everything dovetailed. And I get a huge kick out of that. But I, I, I could live without the bone kick because of responsibility of this is all on your shoulders, this is all you. Sounds like a proper, genuine, actual nightmare of being chased through the countryside <laughs> by a cab with rushes yeah. in on a VHS tape. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's a cold a sweat dream, isn't it? Yeah. And then you go when it was on television, and the reviews were out. You go into a local pub, and people stop talking like it was a western. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the Valley Road Bankers. It's just like, oh come on, Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars. Yeah, what? they forget you know, about that. You're just, yeah, it's you're pretty just, brutal, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, um. We we should let you go. I, I hope this therapy session has been useful for you. Yeah. Uh, we shall be we shall be in, invoicing you directly. Yeah, it it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you so yeah, much no, really for giving you your now. wisdom, your experience, flashbacks, and nightmares. Yeah, yeah. really great. Yeah, war stories. Thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you very much, Ashley. Bye. Cheerio. Bye. 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 Thanks very much for listening to Sitcom Geeks. Just to remind you to sign up to Dave's newsletter, davecohen.org.uk. And if you're really fed up writing scripts that you know just aren't quite cutting it, do check out my 12-lesson video course, Writing Your Sitcom. Sitcomgeek.blogspot.com will eventually get you there and have a look in the link for the show notes. We're so grateful to Ashley Farrow for bearing all. Um, that was a great episode. And we look forward to speaking to you next time.